The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, March 14th, 2022. We are back in business, baby. A new CBA agreed upon between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. We got free agent signings. We got trades. We got spring training games coming up this weekend. Opening day for the Chicago White Sox is Friday, April 8th in Detroit. The home opener is Tuesday, April 12th against Seattle. In the words of Lucas Giolito, let's go! I'm sorry for turning up the enthusiasm, but after months of discussing labor negotiations, trying to understand the thought process of Major League Baseball owners and the Players Association with their proposals. It's just nice to have regular baseball talk back. The White Sox are already in camp at Glendale, Arizona, which also includes general manager Rick Hahn. He spoke to the media a day after the lockout ended to share what he thinks is the biggest roster concern entering the 2022 season and offseason 2.0. The one element that is added into this, this obviously shortened onboarding for the season is the fact that we haven't been able to communicate with our players for the last hundred or so days. So we are still in the process of gathering exactly where they are physically in terms of their preparation and health wise. I think the, the combination of the shortened ramp up, the lack of dialogue over the last few months, uh, as well as obviously our our high expectations for this season has created the expectation that pitching depth is going to be a, a priority. I think all 29 other clubs will probably say something similar in terms of trying to protect those very important elements of the club. But certainly from our perspective, being able to start the season off with the depth we need and, and build uh, hopefully for over seven plus months of baseball, having that pitching depth is going to be key. You know, it's funny, before Han spoke to the media, Jim Margulis on Sox Machine wrote about his concern regarding the White Sox pitching depth. Rick Han confirmed that he also shares that concern. 
So what did Rick Hahn do this weekend? He signed two more pitchers, former Boston Red Sox and Los Angeles Dodgers flamethrower Joe Kelly and former starting pitcher who turned into a left fielder for a few innings against the White Sox, Vince Velasquez. Then to help out the White Sox with the middle infield depth and perhaps your opening day second baseman, Rick Hahn signed Josh Harrison to a one-year deal. And the White Sox are not done yet, as Michael Conforto is still available, and Oakland hasn't unloaded all of their starting pitchers yet. So let's welcome the new guys and ponder what's next for the White Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Baseball is back. Yes, it's uh, great to be back and having actual news to discuss and, you know, dusting off some skills and, and re-exercising some muscles of actually having to respond to breaking news and drop what you're doing when you see something come across or getting a text from you saying, oh, they signed somebody or there's rumors of this happening and figuring out like, oh, do I have time to write about this? Am I in a place where I can get to a signal? Can I hotspot it and just get something up? <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun. I, I miss that a lot. And it's nice to see that fans have retain their excitement for such stories. I was afraid, you know, as the lockout dragged on and as the negotiations got combative that we'd uh, you know, get to the point where fans would be turned off to such an extent that even when the move started coming, it was too late. They're already missed games, already disrupted plans, and they just wouldn't care. But I think with having the 162-game schedule restored, you know, even if it's going to be taking a different shape, you know, having players reporting spring training, having... Both sides patched it up, having teams that wanted to spend continue spending. There's just, I think, uh, a capacity for a lot of excitement, uh, both in terms of teams being able to generate that and fans being able to process it like an NBA or NFL type offseason where the moves really come fast and furious. And, you know, they're, they're, they're happening so far. I think there's a lot more to go. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, with the, what the White Sox have done, what our teams have done with the trade market thawing a little bit, that uh, there's a lot that can happen and fans are ready for it. And we still haven't had the big fish sign. So Jim and I are recording this Sunday night, March 13th. It's around 8.08 p.m. Central Time. So if there is a breaking free agent signing like Freddie Freeman decides where he's going to sign or Carlos Correa is going to decide where he's signing or Trevor story or Michael Conforto or any other big trade. Uh, we'll be chatting about it. We'll be very unprepared. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be like a live show, but not very live. Uh, so we'll keep, we'll stay on our toes. Cause as Jim mentioned, the news has been fast and furious even though I think for a lot of fans, Jim, they would disagree on the fast and furious aspect of the MLB news coming in because we thought that it would be more rapid, that we would have already had Freddie Freeman signed somewhere. Uh, Carlos Correa would have signed somewhere. Like the big dominoes haven't fallen yet. They are going to fall because eventually these guys want to know where they're playing in 2022 and they have to set up living arrangements and such. Um, but it sounds like out of the big fish, Freddie Freeman is the closest one to making a decision. And he has three strong offers with the Atlanta Braves, the team that he's played his entire career with and just helped them win a world championship. The Los Angeles Dodgers 
and the New York Yankees. Whenever you can get the Yankees and Dodgers at a bidding war for you, you are about to be a very, very rich man. Uh, So Freddie Freeman is in a good spot right now. Uh, but we're still waiting for the, the big dominoes to fall and see where they ultimately sign up. We're going to get to the White Sox transactions because they have been busy this weekend and they continue to be busy throughout the weekend, the White Sox front office. But when it comes to the new CBA, we're still waiting for the entire document to be released. So we have all of the rules. There's going to be a lot of rule changes Uh, even like little things like on how the major league baseball draft works, you have to read through that. So we have a better understanding of how the draft lottery will be and who is going to have what draft picks. And what are we going to find out who's got those draft picks? Uh, but that's just one example of the many changes, the Minnesota twins opening week, uh, opening series, uh, originally scheduled for 2022. That's going to be the last series. So what we thought the White Sox were to end their uh, season, the regular season, in San Diego, that's not the case. They have to turn around, fly back home, and play a three-game series at home against the Minnesota Twins that same week before the postseason begins. And in my opinion, that's the way it should be. You should finish your last series of the season against a division opponent if possible. And then the three games they miss against the Kansas City Royals, either makeup days or double headers going to be happening in Kauffman Stadium. Yeah, it was funny. I was going to say, like with the San Diego series, like, yeah, you don't want to end your uh, season playing without the DH if you're an American League team. And then I realized, oh, that's not an issue anymore. You right. Have yeah. About we the, have uh, universal DH yeah. now. So that, that's different. When it comes to the new CBA and the rules that we do know that have been widely reported, what are your first impressions of the new CBA? I think it's ultimately, you know, it, it feels very middle groundy. It took so long to get there. And I think it was, you know, that as we talked about, that was an issue on the owner's side taking forever to budge. But Eventually came down like there was no drastic revision of the compensation system or the the way of doing business. Rebuilding teams can still rebuild. It's still going to be tough to hold them accountable. There is a draft lottery, but there is no way to really, yeah, service time manipulation is still going to be tough to police for the teams that really want to do it. Yeah, there there is a little bit of incentive for teams that get good, great production out of their rookies, which is great. There's also great production for, uh, great incentive for players that actually produce to get a little bit of that bonus pool. So that's, I think, nice. I think it's nice that the league minimum is is going up dramatically from, you know, it was below 600000 for so long, and now it's starting with the seven, and it's going to be going up $20,000 every uh, year. That's, I think, a, a nice benefit for the players and reflects the way that rosters are being built. So that's good. Then I think just generally, you know, the you know, the ads on uniform, I think, is going to be disappointing when that shows up. The expanded postseason, not a fan of that, uh, but we knew that was coming, and I'm happy that it was limited to 12 teams instead of 14. One thing that came up, I, I think what's fascinating, too, is, uh, and and this is why I'm waiting for the official CBA to come out before really uh, forming opinions and writing about it, is that hearing about, like, the 2023 schedule is going to be balanced uh, across, you know, maybe not balanced balance, but in terms of, like, playing every team, uh in the league, I do not care for that. And, and, mm-hmm. and the reason is like the, you know, because you have a postseason that's getting bigger and because you have more teams getting involved that you want the schedules to be more balanced. But that seems to be an argument against interleague play rather than an argument for it or like for like some kind of 
out of whack one, you think like, okay, if it's going to be amongst, if you're going to have like half of your league get in, make sure you're getting the best half of the league in by playing amongst themselves. You know, the best representatives from that league rather than, uh, you know, having more interleague play. Like, I don't think fans by and large are asking for an expanded postseason. I don't think they're asking for additional interleague play. So it seems like in order to facilitate something fans don't want, you have to give fans something they don't want, which I think is uh, something I don't really care for. I, I don't want that. That's two things I don't want. They don't cancel each other out and form a positive. So uh, boo for that. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to like the nuts and bolts of it, I'm, yeah, I, I guess I was... The, the way I looked at it was I thought it was going to take either a week to resolve when it comes to like, you know, figuring out opening day or it's going to take two months uh, just because like, yeah, there's no incentive for a, a situation which teams missed a month. You know, like the, the players wouldn't get enough out of it. The the, the teams wouldn't be sweating uh, a missed month. So it seemed like you know, the players would really have to dig in and then the owners would really have to dig in to prevent a, a massive overhaul of the way they do business. So it, it, I'm happy ultimately that it was resolved as quickly as it was with a CBA that seems more equitable to young players. And when it comes to like, f- f- yeah, I guess firmer opinions, uh, opinions I'm actually going to write down. I want to actually see the whole thing and, and see what people notice and see, also see what league sources say when it comes to how this affects a season that has not been scheduled yet. You mean the 2023 season? Or yes. The- Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, I'm curious because it's going to shrink from 19 division games down to 14 division games. The White Sox are going to play four games against the Chicago Cubs, two home, two away. And then they play a three-game series against everyone else in the National League. And then it's every other year in the hosting situation. So using San Diego, for example, if the White Sox host the San Diego Padres for a three-game series in 2023, then you know in 2024, the White Sox are heading back to San Diego. And it will flip-flop like that. I'm undecided yet about the quote-unquote balanced schedule. I think it's fun to know that the White Sox are going to be playing every other year in Milwaukee. In my quest to visit every Major League Baseball stadium, I guess it makes it a lot easier that I could visit these stadiums uh, and frequently, more frequently, planned trips surrounding when the White Sox are on the road, Jim. But I understand from your perspective when it comes to the postseason mm-hmm. that if I am reducing the amount of divisional games and I am reducing the amount of games these teams are playing within their league, I think that it could be a heavy influence depending on how a team in the American league does against the national league to determine if they're going to make the postseason or not. And you would rather have that. Well, it should be based on division or just more league games because the white Sox will only play six games against every other opponent in the American league, a three game home series and a three game away series in 2023 and beyond that's that's the plan but again yeah that's 2023 we should be expecting a 2023 schedule sometime in september of 2022 and uh, we could uh, address that topic again on how a balanced schedule will work out yeah i also thought it was, you know one of the charms of baseball too is like you know somebody like hawk harrelson not being able to track the national league or not really caring about the national league and being okay <laughs> like, i thought it was like a little bit yeah 
charming, I guess, or, or quaint in that, like, you could just tune out a whole league and not have to care about them till the postseason or World Series. And you wouldn't be that worse off. Like, you could shrink the league down to whatever you wanted and, and, and get that out of baseball. Now, like, I'm thinking of, like, you know, uh, Penals, Patrick Nolan, um, you know, used to write uh, opponent previews for us. And then they got too busy uh, <laughs> just with family stuff to be able to commit to, like, you know, late arriving schedules to get previews out. But now, like, now forget it because now he has to write uh, 29 opponent previews if you were doing his old yep. schedule versus, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, what would be uh, 19, uh, you know, when you factor in the, the other team. So just like, well, forget that, uh, <laughs> especially if they're for fewer games. So maybe uh, we'll, we'll have to shrink it down to central. You know, maybe he can just preview the, you know, what central teams have done to make it easier and, and, and get more use out of it, especially if that's going to be the most direct path to an expanded postseason. But between the uh, National League shedding the DH and then like facing every team once, I feel like, you know, we're losing... Well, it's weird because, you know, baseball is a regional game. It seems like it's becoming more and more of a local game. But the schedule is getting bigger and, and and becoming more national. And I wonder if there's like a little bit of tension there in terms of like the way fans follow it versus the way the league is, you know, kind of saying playing itself, which it might be playing itself multiple ways, but just un- unfolding uh, might be kind of counter to how the product is actually being consumed. Well, I was going to say, as far as my first impression of CB, I thought the Players Association did well. The increasing the, the league minimum salaries, that's a win. They got the competitive balance tax to be increased from 210 to 230 million. That's a win. We are now seeing the teams that were closer to the $210 million competitive balance tax continue to spend money now as they have a little bit more breathing room shortly after the lockout has ended. Uh, So that's a big thumbs up for the players association as older free agents. Uh, Suddenly their markets have just gotten a lot bigger and now they have job opportunities that may have not existed at the competitive balance tax uh, was still at 210 million. And now they have the pre-arbitration bonus pool that you mentioned, Jim, that did not exist before. Uh, so there is an opportunity, depending on how well a player does, that is in their pre-arbitration years. If they rake, like let's say Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, they're going to have an opportunity to to make some sweet, sweet bonus money. So I thought the Players Association did well. And I'm glad that the owners came to their senses and were willing to budge and both parties were able to find a deal. And now we have real things to talk about for the Chicago White Sox and Major League Baseball. And for the Chicago White Sox, as you heard Rick Hahn during the intro, the biggest concern roster-wise for him and even manager Tony La Russa followed up and backed up Rick Hahn with his same concern is pitching. And it does make sense. You have a short ramp up to the season. You don't know where guys are at. And you're already hearing that some guys have faced hitters. Some pitchers have been pitching in simulated games. Some pitchers have not faced hitters and they have not been in simulated games. So not everyone's on the same page. They're not on the same ramp up schedule. It's a little bit all over the place right now for every single major league team. And you don't have that much time to get ready because this upcoming weekend, all teams will be playing spring training games already. Uh, And we'll see on how the workload is and getting up to speed and being able to play a 162 game season with some teams opening day on Thursday, April 7th. And again, for the Chicago White Sox, their opening day is going to be Friday, April 8th 
in Detroit. So with the pitching being a concern, uh, the White Sox did not uh, hesitate to continue adding to their pitching staff. And again, it is back to the bullpen in which Jim, someone in Major League Baseball needs to have the most expensive bullpen and damn it, the Chicago White Sox are going to own this market because uh, they sign former Dodgers, former Red Sox flamethrower reliever Joe Kelly to a two-year, $17 million deal. Now you look at the White Sox bullpen as we speak. It's closer Liam Hendricks. It's Craig Kimbrell, who's still on the team. It's Aaron Bummer. It's Kendall Graveman, who they signed pre-lockout. Now it's Joe Kelly and it's Garrett Crochet. And you look at this bullpen and if you're not a White Sox fan, if you're a fan of the other 29 teams or a fan of the league, you look at this White Sox bullpen and say, holy crap, it is deep. It is loaded. You do not want to be losing to the White Sox late in games. However, as you wrote on SoxMachine.com, you still have a lingering concern regarding Joe Kelly. Like you want to like the Joe Kelly signing, mm-hmm. but you're hesitant. Why are you hesitant, Jim? Well, you know, part of it, I think, is generally it's hard to get excited about reliever acquisitions when reliever acquisitions seem like the only big moves being made. Like there's been a string of them. Like it used to be that when we were evaluating like relievers or bullpens, you'd say like every team should probably have one big bullpen contract just because like, you know, it's hard to generate eight, you know, seven to eight quality relievers, especially ones that can withstand the stress of high leverage opportunities. So you're probably going to pay somebody. So if you have like an eight to $10 million contract on the books or even higher, if it's like a premium closer and you have a payroll to accommodate it, like fine. Okay. But now the white Sox are up to five of those guys. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> it's like, you know, Hendricks, uh, well, I guess bummer is internal and his extension is fine, but like Hendricks, Graveman, Kelly, Krim- Kimberl, that's four of them, uh, from the outside. And that's a lot. Like that's probably two more than I think you want. And it does point to the idea that like the White Sox have difficulty coming up with lockdown relievers of their own. Like they don't, they don't really have a system yet of, of, of getting high quality relievers. Garrett Crochet is there, but he was a first round pick. Like that's, that's its own expensive capital on a reliever. If you're using a first round pick and, and fast tracking, you know, they don't have like the, the kind of system that can just, you know, take other arms, take live arms and shape them into something. And we saw that with like Zach Birdie and Carson Fulmer, like their floors as, you know, high quality middle relievers. They didn't, they, they, they kind of crashed through those and are now just feeling around for a job. So I think that's a case where, you know, that makes me worried or at least the, the, there are diminishing returns to my excitement over, you know, one high priced reliever after another specific to Kelly, I think my concern is just how his season ended with him coming off the mound and having a nerve issue that affected like his bicep and his, the doctors were originally worried that he was going to need uh, months to recover because of how quickly atrophy can set in with that particular area. But it turned out that famous surgeons involved, it's never a good thing, but apparently the report on Kelly was that he was fine, you know, but we just don't know that exactly yet. And it reminds me a little bit of Kelvin Herrera and how the White Sox picked him up for less than maybe he would have commanded if he were perfectly healthy because, you know, of his track record and because like he was still effective enough, even, you know, around some, some issues with the nationals and Royals in his last year with those two teams. But when he showed up with the White Sox, his velocity took a long time to come back. Even with it came back most of the way, it didn't have the life. He had to try to kind of scramble to figure out another way to get hitters out, and he ultimately couldn't. So the White Sox cut him like less than halfway into his contract, or I guess a little bit more as the second of two guaranteed years, but they didn't even bother 
trying to entertain the possibility of him being worth the option that was at the end of it. And the White Sox are paying him basically the same amount, paying Joe Kelly the same amount that Herrera made. Herrera made two years and 18 million with a, with a club option. And Kelly has two years for 17 million. And just given that we haven't seen Kelly and given that, you know, Rick Hahn seems hell bent on adding relievers, it seems like something you could just blindly get yourself into trouble. Like, like turn around and say like, Oh, we've overinvested." The, the one thing that, yeah, I guess I'm holding on to is the idea that like, well, if Craig Kimball gets traded and that $16 million is off the books for the bullpen, then Kelly doesn't look that bad. And then it's just a matter of like whether he's healthy enough to pitch and, you know, but ultimately like the investments are not terribly out of line with the bullpen. Kimbrell's the, I guess, putting his thumb on the scale with his salary and, and, and really, uh, yeah, just making it a, an excess of resources in that area. But that remains to be seen. With the Kelly signing, I mean, again, if you're going to own the bullpen market and if you just look at the White Sox current bullpen, if everyone can stay healthy, and I get it, that's a big F, this should be the best bullpen in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. I did like the line that you mentioned that, uh, what is it, uh, when does a type turn into a fetish? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of a former guy that I knew in college that he would only date five foot four or shorter blondes. And all the girls that he was dating just looked alike. And for the White Sox, <laughs> it looks like, well, if you do not throw 97 miles per hour, do not think about joining our bullpen uh, because that is the bar of entry right now. You got to throw faster than 97. We got to focus on getting ground balls. Uh, that those are the those are the parameters in order to join our bullpen. It's not a terrible idea when it comes to building your bullpen. But the White Sox, instead of developing these types of arms, they are spending their free agent dollars on these arms. Or they are flipping a Nick Magical to get a Craig Kimbrell to add into their bullpen. You are right, Jim, that they are investing a lot of their resources into this bullpen. They got to stay healthy and they got to perform. This is the one unit on this team that's got the most pressure now to perform, Jim, adding Joe Kelly. And even Tony LaRusso, when he was speaking to the media, wasn't exactly sure that Craig Kimbrell was going to get traded. That LaRusso is kind of, ha- he's working with this assumption that I've got Craig Kimbrell on opening day. And at this moment, I am agreeing with LaRusso. Yes, you are going to have Craig Kimbrell on your roster on opening day. And that's how the White Sox are are going to roll, that they're going to try to not lean so heavily on the starting pitching to begin the season, that they are going to have this deeper bullpen. If the rosters expand to 28 guys, it's going to be two extra pitchers that are going to be part, and they're going to be relievers uh, as far as the pitching staff. Uh, so Larusa can only go four or five innings, maybe for the first week of the season. As the starting pitchers build up, they ramp up, they get that workload back to normal, and the White Sox may have to count on their bullpen earlier in the season. And I, I mean, at least on paper, talent-wise. Do you think that they've got the best bullpen in baseball? I think in terms of frontline talent, yes. You know, based on who's going to be breaking camp 
with the, uh, you know, with the team. I, I think, you know, my reservations would just be like, they have a hard time coming up with like, you know, the next great relievers from within. Like I'm thinking like the Rays always generate guys midseason, always trade for guys, you know, midseason or like in May, some kind of under the radar deal. Uh, they end up being, you know, their, their seventh, eighth inning relievers come October. So I, I think should there be injuries, the White Sox will be hard pressed. Like I don't see Anderson Severino or, you know, Bennett Souza becoming like the next great lefty reliever. I think they're just going to be adequate. Like, you know, uh, the way Ryan Burr is adequate or the way, you know, Matt Foster sometimes, you know, decent in a mid leverage situation, but it's mostly low leverage. Like right now that seems to be their front line of their triple a relief depth. So I think like, yeah, their, their frontline talent is there, but I just would like to see them, you know, not have to spend so much on outside acquisitions, like have more Aaron Bummer stories versus have more Kendall Graveman stories of guys you have to sign. The other, the other thing I was going to say is with Kimbrell is like with Tony LaRussa, like, you know, I would say like uh, that I don't trust his spring training quotes because he won't say anything bad about anybody. Like last year, I'm thinking like with Jonathan Lucroy, remember how we all thought that Jonathan Lucroy is going to be the opening or day backup catcher. And turns out like he was just dropped <laughs> for mm-hmm. Zach Collins. And like, just kind of unceremoniously, like, Collins didn't play all that well. He was fine, but he's just like, you know, they had the opportunity to run with Lucroy and have Collins' AAA depth, and they, they they didn't think it was that important. So, you know, they you know, all the nice things that were said about Lucroy, and they just let him go, uh, yeah, for... And, and they were proving... Like, Lucroy didn't prove him wrong or anything like that, so that was fine. But just when it comes to spring training, uh, we saw last year that Tony La Russa loves everybody who's wearing a White Sox uniform. He will not say anything bad. He will not say like any performances will uh, not be damning or uh, any kind of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, all positions are deep and have talented players for them. And he'll like anybody who's on his 26 man roster. And then, you know, when it comes to the postseason too, and just like, will Abreu play? Will, you know, who's, I'm, I'm going to have two lineups and which one I'm going to like, at, at some point, I think I, I just really don't trust much of what, what LaRusso says in general, but I think that's especially so in spring training when it just seems like he just will. It, it's about, uh, you know, the way, the way James Fegan uh, wrote about it, saying that like he thinks spring training is sacrosanct for building relationships and, and gaining trust and and establishing hierarchies and and good habits and it seems like part of that for him is just uh not bad mouthing anybody because everybody has to whoever he breaks camp with the white Sox is going to be counted upon so like he does not want to uh, remove any confidence from anybody involved but that leads to situations where you just you're in the back half of march and not knowing like who actually has the upper hand if options aren't a, a factor? Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, we welcome Josh Harrison and Vince Velasquez to the south side and ponder what could be the White Sox next move next on the Sox Machine podcast. So I was browsing through Twitter and seeing all of the spring training photos come out. And you have to check out Dylan Cease's mustache. It is fantastic easy 60 grade mustache Chicago fans are going to love it and then you see Luis Robert and Robert looks to be in terrific physical shape he is 100% healthy that sounds awesome for the White Sox for this upcoming season and I went on the DraftKings Sportsbook app to check out Robert's MVP chances I think he realistically can be the American League MVP in 2022 and his odds right now are 30 to 1. So you put 10 bucks on Luis Robert to win the American League MVP, you win 310 bucks. 
Dylan sees his odds in winning the American League. Cy Young is 12 to 1. So if you put 10 bucks on Dylan Cease to win the Cy Young, you make $130. And I think these are good investments. And if you would like to tag along, you can do so by using the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app. It's officially live with mobile sports betting registration back in Illinois, also in time to get in all of the college basketball mania. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any tourney team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if you do. It's that simple. They win, you win. And you can sign up anywhere as long as you're in the state of Illinois. And you can download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and features, including same-game parlays. It's safe secure, reliable, best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook now. Use promo code SOCKSMACHINE, bet $5 on any college basketball team to win, and you get $200 in free bets. If they win, you win by using promo code SOCKSMACHINE this week at DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 years and older, Illinois only, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So we talked about Joe Kelly joining the White Sox bullpen. The second pitcher that the White Sox have signed is Vince Velasquez, former starting pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. He played left field uh, in the very memorable extra innings affair against the White Sox where he was flashing gold glove skills (laughs) defensively. I, I still remember that game very fondly. And now he is also joining the White Sox pitching staff. And when it comes to Vince Velasquez, Jim, we don't know what the contract situation is. So as we record this, we don't know if it's just a year or how many millions of dollars it is. It is the assumption that it is a major league deal. So Vince Velasquez is going to be part of the White Sox 20-man uh, as far as roster going to opening day, or if, even if it's a 28-man roster, if rosters expand at least for the first month, that the expectation is is that if Velasquez is healthy, he's going to be part of the White Sox pitching staff. And when it comes to Velasquez, Jim, this is another swing man that the White Sox have. And 
I, I ponder on how the White Sox are going to balance Velasquez and Ronaldo Lopez because it seems like you now have redundancy with these two. Yeah, it's it's tough to write about. I basically, you know, when, when I wrote about his, the acquisition based on what we knew from what Robert Murray uh, reported, that I mostly focused on what kind of pitcher he is and how he might be used or like, you know, I guess how he ran into trouble and how he never improved upon like a good rookie season or good for a full season with uh, Philadelphia. He never quite figured out a breaking ball, never quite figured out a changeup, rode his fastball as long as he could. And now the fastball is getting diminishing returns, or maybe he doesn't want to trust as much as he does. So he's just kind of feeling around for something else and uh, getting further away from success. And obviously that's not great. <laughs> obviously it's uh, not who you want to see. Uh, th- that's you know, when, when fans are hoping for like Michael Conforto or trading for uh, a number three starter and bumping Michael Kopech bout- back out of the top five or, or bouncing Dallas Keuchel out of the top five. Like to have Vince Velasquez show up on maybe a major league deal is not what you want, but this could be something that we're overreacting to if it is a, Either a you know a minor league deal, which in case fine you'll have him there's minor league you know depth. They need him. They need pitchers like him to take stress off Jimmy Lambert and a post surgery Jonathan Stever from having to make spot starts in uh, in April and May. Should there be one more than one injury to the staff, or should they need a sixth starter? So you know that's fine. But if it comes to major league work, yeah, you know, this is why I'm I'm waiting to hear you know one what the terms are and the two what Rick Hahn actually says about it or what Tony Larusa says about it because it seems like as you mentioned he does uh, have a you know swingman type profile like probably shouldn't be starting but if he is at least he's done it before can give you four innings you know should he not be great he can cut him and not feel bad about it I think when I see an acquisition like this it makes me wonder if they're just keeping him. Around, like, say if it's like a you know one million dollar signing, one point five million dollar signing, and just like, well, is somebody hurt? Is somebody like, uh, you know, have a nagging injury that's going to cost them, you know, spring training? Or are they going to have to go to extended spring training? Are they going to need to have two extra weeks? Like, is you know, like Lopez going to need two extra weeks to uh, get to the you know major league roster? If so, Velasquez is fine. Like, this is the case where. We don't, we, you know, not everybody has reported yet. Not everybody's pitching on a regular schedule yet to know who's available. So perhaps he's taking the place of an injured pitcher that gives the White Sox length and they're just looking to buy a couple weeks. And, and Velasquez is the kind of pitcher who they think might have a little bit more to offer than he's shown. Uh, but if he doesn't, then fine, they can cut him. <laughs> they're, they're fine with that. So that that's why I don't want to overreact to this too much. Obviously, the pitch data is not great. The, the the fastball was his meal ticket, but it's dropping in velocity. And you know he's had a variety of injury issues and, and gave up a ton of homers, uh, more than 20 homers and fewer than 100 innings. So that's pretty rough. So when you look at the numbers, there's not a lot there. The, the the key to me is just like, if they're just looking at him as fodder or like, you know, uh, yeah, worst case scenario, he buys them a couple weeks of major league pitching, and then they'll decide what to do. See if they can like you know send them down to the minors, uh, sneak them through waivers. It, you know, if it is like a case where like they're signing him for like two point five million and think he can be a fixture of the bullpen, that's when I'll raise an eye. But I just you know it feels like this is a case where there are a lot of reasons, small reasons why he's around and mm-hmm. may not have large implications. So I don't want to. There may be bigger reasons to thrash and wail about the roster construction. So I want to save my uh, bitter bullets for something bigger than Vince Velasquez being around for a couple weeks. Bitter bullets. <laughs> we should sell those. Rubber, little rubber bullets or 
BBs. We call them bitter bullets that you could just throw when you're bitter or my, angry about the White Sox roster construction. My bandolier of bitter bullets. <laughs> bitter bullets bandolier. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious on uh, on how Vince Velasquez fits with the, the White Sox pitching staff. Uh, when I look at the White Sox pitching staff with uh, Chris Bassett, Seabass, getting traded to the New York Mets, and that's a situation where... Man, I mean, I like JT Ginn, former second-round pick for the New York Mets. He was their fifth-ranked prospect, according to MLBPipeline.com. Gets sent over with another prospect to Oakland, so it's just two players in exchange for Chris Bassett. Uh, even the Minnesota Twins trading their first-round pick uh, in 2021, Chase Petty, to Cincinnati for Sonny Gray. Like, it doesn't seem on paper these are huge returns for starting pitchers that would boost the White Sox starting rotation, especially with Carlos Rodon signing with the San Francisco Giants now for two years, $44 million. It just seems that my working assumption for the White Sox entering the season, Jim, is that your five-man starting rotation is Giolito, Lynn, Cease, Keuchel, and Kopech. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the White Sox expectation is... It is now your time, Michael. You are now a starting pitcher. We're moving you from the bullpen. You're going to be the fifth starter to begin the season. The way we look at it is, boy, if you really hit your stride, we got Kopech, Giolito, Lynn, and Cease. Back to back to back to back. And then there's Keuchel. Uh, But we got four really strong right-handers coming at your way. Uh, if Michael Kopech really hits his stride and starts flashing the ceiling that we have all dreamed upon since the White Sox acquired him in the Chris Sale trade, that the time is now and Kopech's going to get every opportunity like Dylan Cease did last year to handle a full season's workload despite coming off Tommy John surgery and pitching for the first time in 2021 since 2018 because he missed all of 2019 and he opted out in 2020. So it was a long layoff for Michael Kopech. And there was at a time before Bassett got traded and maybe it's still true, but I'm, I'm doubtful now that the White Sox can work out a deal with Oakland to maybe get a Frankie Montas or a Sean Benaya. I have no clue who they could possibly trade from their roster as they have the worst farm system in baseball to acquire either starting pitcher But my working assumption is the White Sox starting rotation is set coming into spring training and into opening day. And if nobody gets hurt, those are the five guys. Do you agree with that thinking or do you disagree? And you could see Rick Hahn possibly making another addition to the starting rotation. Well, I did see float across my Twitter feed. I'm trying to find the original source, but like Tyler Maley came across as a connected to the White Sox, but it was like a, an account I didn't recognize. So it might have been just, um, you know, one of those random, um, just throw names out there. Heard something from somebody, from somebody, from somebody. It doesn't really materialize. But like, that's a case where like there, it does make some sense. Like he's coming off like a, a nice season with the Reds and the Reds are obviously selling. So maybe, yeah, just it doesn't seem like, uh, uh, yeah, there was anything to it aside from one random Twitter account. But given just the odd shape of this uh off season, you know, and how long, you know, the layoff was and how many moves are coming from all sorts of directions that, you know, this might be the season for random Twitter accounts 
to break trade. So that's why uh, I kind of had it filed away in the back of my mind. Like to me, it makes sense that, you know, if they did go with Kopech and they just did try to build up the bullpen and try to come up with some sixth, seventh, eighth starters along the lines of like Velasquez and just maybe some non-roster invitees that come along that I can see them doing that and then hoping for maybe the deadline to come along and maybe provide some depth that they need an extra starter. But, you know, given the way the White Sox have operated and given just how aggressive they've been with the bullpen, I could see a case where, sure, you know, if one of these starters shakes loose at a lower than expected price to where like they only have to give up like a Jared Kelly or, you know, like a, a prep pitcher of, of some note, like headlining the deal going back, then sure, why not? Like, you know, just, even though like Kopech might feel like a little bit miffed, like it's a case where, yeah, it's, it's a weird season. They have aspirations, especially the way the schedule is. They're going to need extra arms. I can't see anybody on the current White Sox roster being able to take like, you know, serious offense to being either bumped out of the rotation or having like a smaller margin for error before a replacement might be talked about. Um, so I, I really don't have a firm opinion just because, you know, as we're seeing the prices for starting pitching on the market being not that high and, and, and maybe like, I'm trying to remember who said it on mm -hmm. Twitter. Like it, it's a case where it's going to be hard to search quickly. So I won't uh, bore people with me typing, but somebody was saying like right now with just how fast the transactions are coming, especially we're seeing it on the lower levels. Like this is the time for like the $2 million contracts to happen. Like just because those players might be feeling like they're going to be mus losing mu musical chairs if they're like, if they're gonna be looking for a one-year deal of some kind and they can find a deal where like, oh, that team needs a shortstop or that team needs a fourth outfielder or that team needs, you know, uh, a fifth starter. Like I'm gonna jump on that you know, I'm gonna way too long because if that seat gets taken, I might not have a major league job or might, you know, my, you know, I might have to go for the minimum or I might have to go for a minor league contract and play my way in a roster. So it could be the case too, where you know, given that there are some pitchers still on the markets and given that, uh, you know, everything is so fluid and things have to happen so fast that if they, you know, a team looking to deal a starter gets like one name they like from a team. Like I was hoping for three prospects, but I got one. Like that might be enough to like get them thinking or get them, you know, on a fast tracking a trade getting done just so they don't, you know, feel like they're on the outside looking in and they missed out on a guy they like. So that's a case where, just, you know, based on the two uh, starters traded so far, Gray and Bassett, like, I thought the Bassett return was okay for one year of Bassett, but I thought, like, the, the Sonny Gray return, you know, Chase Petty, one year, you know, he's got, like, a long road ahead of him to make the majors, and a lot can go wrong for a prep pitcher who throws that hard. I thought that was a good move for Minnesota, and a, kind of a no-brainer move for Minnesota. So, yeah, should a no-brainer of that sort uh, sense or, or that uh, type arrive for Rick Hahn, I can see him doing that and saying like, oh, we'll figure out hurt feelings later. Would you feel comfortable going back to your prospect list and ranking prospects by how much it would hurt if the White Sox traded them? That if Oakland said, yeah, you could have Sean Manaya, but it requires Colson Montgomery. Uh, is Manaya in the last year of his deal or? Yes. That feels pretty steep. Because I think Manaya, yeah, the thing with Oakland pitchers too is like they, you know, they pitch in such a forgiving ballpark that you know for one year of a guy, uh, you know, who's who's only pitched in Oakland, uh, that makes me a little bit skittish. Just you know, he's had some health issues here and there, and and then to go, you know, uh, from Oakland, you know, Bassett had the same thing where you know he gave a lot of homers away from the Coliseum, 
uh, that it's just uh, something where like that might make me feel a little bit nervous for a pitcher from Oakland needing to capitalize on one year and a hitter friendly ballpark, or at least a home run friendly ballpark. Okay. So what if it's okay to get Frankie Montas who has two years of control old friend, Frankie Montas. Yeah. That's a case where like, yeah, for two years, then yeah, Montgomery, I think is, especially since if you're going to have to replace Keuchel at the end of the year, um, you know, assuming he doesn't get to his uh, innings deal and his option doesn't vest. Like, yeah, that's a case where that solves a problem for next year as well. Okay. We're going to get more into what's next for the White Sox later in the show, but I I wanted to bring up as far as the starting rotation, because coming back to Vince Velasquez, Keuchel his back barks up on him. And now with the injured list expanding from 10 to 15 days, if his back starts barking up on him, he's going to miss three starts. If he has to go on the IL, we have seen Lance Lynn go on the IL for mm-hmm. back issues as well. If he goes in the IL last year, he did. And somehow thanks to schedule hijinks, uh, the white Sox did not miss a Lance Lynn start. Uh, didn't have to skip him in the rotation. That will not be the case in 2022 if Lynn goes on the injured list or if Giolito, his hamstring barks up on him and he's got to go on the injured list and miss a couple of starts. Those fill-in starters right now for the White Sox are Ronaldo Lopez and Vince Velasquez. So that's how I view Velasquez right now is that he's starting pitcher number seven, and swing man number two when it comes to the bullpen behind Ronaldo Lopez. I guess that's depth. Uh, that That is another arm. It's not mm-hmm. high-quality depth, but it is experienced depth as uh, Velasquez will turn 30 years old. And who knows, Jim, maybe cats will fix him. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe Lance Lynn will fix him. Like, oh, you want to throw all fastballs? You want to succeed... Uh... And not having really a, a great breaking pitch or change up to go to, I'm your guy. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Finally, uh, the White Sox did sign a second baseman. So for all the White Sox fans that wanted them to address second base, that did not want Lurie Garcia to be the starting second baseman, you were in luck because the White Sox signed Josh Harrison to a one-year, $5.5 million contract. There is a club option for 2023. The buyout is $1.5 million. This is the Adam Eaton contract, but for a second baseman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So pretty much it's Harrison for $7 million to play second base for the White Sox in 2022. Because Tim Anderson still has his three-game suspension to start this year. Uh, There is a chance that your opening day middle infield is Lurie Garcia at shortstop and Josh Harrison at second base. But this is my opinion between the two Garcia and Harrison. My expectation is that Harrison will get more of the starts at second base while Lurie Garcia continues to be the super utility role. And we see Garcia all over the place especially early in the season to buy guys days off because of the short ramp up to the 162 game marathon. Jim, you wrote, I think accurately on SoxMachine.com when the white Sox announced the signing. And of course, Harrison's agency also announcing the signing of Josh Harrison, that when things are going well, it's not home run pop, but he puts the ball in play. 
He can maybe make things happen on the basis, even though he's going to be entering his age 35 season. Defensively, you could depend on him on sec- at second base. When things are not going well, it's a lot of weak contact and it's a lot of weak outs. And this is the guy that's going to be batting ninth in the White Sox lineup. And it's not as attractive as a number nine hitter compared to who we were speaking a calendar year ago in Nick Madrigal. And we saw how effective Nick Madrigal could be turning the lineup over to Tim Anderson from the nine to the leadoff spot. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see that with Josh Harrison. But if you're looking for the best possible scenario with Harrison, he's dependable at second. He plays 110 games there for the White Sox, and he's got an on-base percentage of 340 or better. If he can do that, I think the White Sox come out ahead in this signing. What are your impressions with Josh Harrison now in the fold? He's a tough guy to to write about just because like he does have a lot going for him. He has a lot going against him. And a lot of it is like, he's looked like two different players over the course of, um, you know, the last three or four seasons, um, looked like he was just about done, you know, three years ago and he bounced back nicely, but then he had like an unimpressive, uh, post-season push with Oakland after a trade there. So like his last two, or I guess his only two tours in the American League have been pretty disappointing. Like he's got a 263 OBP between a disastrous year with the Tigers where he is hurt and then the unimpressive two months with Oakland. Like his his line in 84 career games in the American League is 220 with a 263 OBP, 307 slugging. It, it hasn't been good. And then as you mentioned, it's the Adam Eaton deal and Rick Hahn has a very... He's got a type. Well, I'll just put it ter- <laughs> well, it's, yeah, well, it's a terrible track record with one-year deals. Like, aside from Carlos Rodon, like, he was a good one-year deal, but he also was somebody they knew, somebody they worked with, had very good knowledge of him when it comes to, like, you know, player sign from the outside. It's James McCann and maybe Giovanni Soto, and, and really it thins out after that. So this kind of has the makings of somebody who just, you know, is on the way down, and, you know, if you pair him with Larry Garcia, you have two utility guys making like 5.5 million, but are you paying 10 million for two guys who do the same thing and don't solve a position entirely between the two of them? Like that's a case where it's, if, if Harrison were replacing Garcia, I think I'd be comfortable with it. Like it'd be like a riskier proposition just because he doesn't have Garcia's outfield abilities and he, you know, doesn't run the bases as well as Garcia does, but He's a stabler form of on-base percentage, and he you know, he's he's a bit better at making contact and getting on base without hits. So, like, there's a case where, like, he might be better than Garcia. Like, I could see it being a trade-off depending on how you feel, but having both of them on the roster, I'm still wrestling with, like, how to phrase my apprehension. Like, because Harrison, like, you know, he's been a very popular player wherever he's gone. Like, teammates love him, fans love him. Like, he could be a case where, like, yeah, you're happy to have him around. Great. You know, good signing, getting a lot out of him. Tony La Russa loves him. It's going great. Like second base, you don't have to worry about it. Like, so that's why I I don't want to come in guns blazing against this move, but it does seem like the kind of move to where like, if, you know, Harrison had his dead cat bounce with the nationals and Oakland was him resuming his decline, uh, then all of a sudden, like just, that's just five more million dollars that can't be used to address an issue more effectively. Like there's a whole idea that like there's no such thing thing is a bad one-year contract but when Rick Hahn has signed like 20 something bad one-year contracts <laughs> I think it starts to add up and Harrison has the makings for like somebody who just 
his best baseball might be behind him, and that's $5.5 million that doesn't really solve anything. So that, I think that's my apprehension right now of this move. So I'm still trying to balance it out, and I was going to be writing about it, except they signed Vince Velasquez, so that, uh, that dis- disrupted my Sunday. So I think I'm going to take another crack at it, sleep on it again, take another run at it on Monday, <laughs> see how I feel. So stay tuned, because I'm still... Uh, trying to uh, wrestle with my my leading emotion. Honestly. Yeah, Harrison last year in 90 games with Washington Nationals hit 294 with the 366 on base percentage and slugged 434. If he hits like that for the White Sox, jackpot. With yeah. Oakland in 48 games after being traded to the Athletics, he hit 254 with a 296 on base percentage and slug 341. And based on Rick Hahn's track record of one-year contracts, Jim, it is more likely that Josh Harrison's slash line is going to look like it did with the Oakland Athletics in the second half of 2021. But this is what gives me optimism, Jim, is that Josh Harrison was also being heavily recruited by the Los Angeles Dodgers. So if the Dodgers wanted Josh Harrison, <laughs> there must be a reason, Jim. There must be a reason. And he picked the White Sox over the Dodgers because he's not starting games at Los Angeles. Uh, he would be a bench guy. But with the White Sox, uh, he's going to get an opportunity to start at second base. And he's been playing all over the place the, the last couple of years. Second base, shortstop even third base uh, left field as well mm-hmm. uh, that he's played with the, the Washington nationals and the Oakland athletics. So maybe he's another super utility guy. The point that you made about the amount of money, the white Sox are paying Lurie Garcia and Josh Harrison uh, coming into this season could be a lot for two guys on a roster who don't really play or secure a position every single day. But fingers crossed uh, that things do work out this time for a one-year contract that Rick Hahn signs. And uh, Josh Harrison is more like the 2021 Washington National than the 2021 Oakland Athletic. Yeah, I'm just wondering if, like, you know, it, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm Rick Hahn, like, I wonder if I'm talking to Bob Nightingale or whoever he's talking to and says, like, we just signed Josh Harrison. You know, we're still going to do the physical uh, before we make it official. So you didn't hear it from me, but also really had to outbid the Dodgers. <laughs> like every signing you make really had to outbid the Dodgers. Uh, oh, the Rays were hot on him. Like, oh, the Yankees really were interested in him. Like, just try to tie yourself to, uh, you know, to uh, teams that make you more excited or teams you trust a bit more to to, uh, to, to buy some goodwill before, you know, collapses again. Like, I, I wonder if that's a strategy for um, uh, some obfuscation. Whatever helps the press and uh, your uh, outside perceptions of the job that you are doing. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about what's next for the Chicago White Sox. And when it comes to what's next, for the first time in our lifetimes, with the competitive balance tax being increased to $230 million, Right now, the White Sox player payroll is around $191 million. And I'm going to take a breath here so I do not collapse and faint with how high the White Sox player payroll is. I am so happy looking at that number that the team is spending money. When you also add in the player benefits and the estimated minor league contracts, which these are numbers that go into the competitive balance tax figures for teams, 
The White Sox are slightly uh, below 210 million. They're around 209 plus million dollars in the competitive balance tax. So for the first time ever, Jim, we have to worry about the competitive balance tax threshold for the Chicago White Sox. And that warms my heart because it's about damn time. They're $20.7 million below the competitive balance tax threshold. What could be next for the White Sox? Well, uh, I think Craig Kimbrell is the one that stands out in terms of like somebody who adds to that number, who uh, you know makes the White Sox uh, perilously close, if you want to say it, to the uh, competitive balance tax threshold. But, you know, if he's off the roster, then all of a sudden that's one, yeah, that's like a Michael Conforto's worth of breathing room that it didn't have before. So I think he's the one who sticks out as somebody who just, it doesn't make sense that he's around and the White Sox made such a big deal about like saying like, well, he's probably going to get traded. You know, like Rick Hahn made, uh, or, or just like the, the, the way the White Sox talked about him and the idea of trading him. We've never heard Rick Hahn talk about moving a guy like the way he's talked about Kimbrell. So it'd be weird if he came back and for multiple reasons, one just kind of interpersonally, but also just the, his presence on the payroll really doesn't make sense, especially with the way they're adding Graveman and they're adding uh, Kelly. Just um, those aren't moves you make. If you have a lot of you know, great feelings about what Craig Kimbrell can do for you for the 21, 21 White Sox. So that's a case where that seems like a first move that could be made if it happens. The other one is just like, you know, Michael Conforto's still out there. And I think as long as he's out there, he just makes a lot of sense for the White Sox in a way that like he doesn't cost as much as Bryce Harper or George Springer, but he can play like a good right field. He's left-handed bat for a uh, ballpark that's very favorable to left-handed hitters who can get the ball in the air. So I think like just he makes so much sense. It's almost like Yasmani Grandal that, that offseason when the White Sox signed him was that, you know, Grandal gave the White Sox a lot of what they needed on base percentage, left-handed hitting you know, guy who could get his pitcher strikes. And, you know, whether it was White Sox fans talking about him or, you know, the third parties in the league, like, you know, I remember Mike Petriello was really stumping for the White Sox to sign Grandal just because of the fit. Like it made so much sense that when it happened, you thought like, yeah, of course they signed him, but holy crap, they also signed him. Like, it was just, it was a big signing, but it made so much sense that you could be shocked and also like, of course they signed him. And I think Conforto is the same way to me. Like, as long as he's on the market, I'm going to have some hope that the White Sox sign him because, like, just he fits in a way that, you know, he, he fits in terms of his profile and also fits in terms of just, like, he's not perfect. He's, he's He has flaws. He had a down year going in his contract year. If he had a good year, the White Sox wouldn't be signing him. <laughs> like, he just, he doesn't fit. So he has to be a certain amount of flawed the way, like, Grandal was flawed uh, because of his age and because, like, of his pitch blocking problem. Like if, if Grandal could block pitches the way fans want him to block pitches, um, he would not be catching for the White Sox because another team would sign him for more money. Like the White Sox have to have, you know, they have to accept some sort of flaw for a player who's otherwise very, very good uh, in order to land him uh, because the White Sox will not compete at the $100 million uh, level by and large for uh you know, players who are in their prime or close to it. So that's a case where like Conforto fits in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to hold out hope that he's like the last piece they're going to do. Unless of course, like, as we talked about, like when these starting pitchers become available so cheap because of teams that are so concerned about 
cutting payroll and just want to get somebody interesting in return that I can see that move being made as well. But those are the three I'm kind of focusing on. And I guess Kimbrel would be something that goes in concert with like, say, a Conforto move that all of a sudden you can just redirect the money that was going to him or most of the money going to him to Conforto instead. And that was going to be my follow-up question. Does Kimbrel need to be traded in order for the White Sox to sign Michael Conforto? It seems like it based on just how the White Sox have operated in the past. It doesn't seem like they have to. Like, I guess we'll put it that way. Like, they shouldn't have to. This is their year to make the most of what they've built and, and, and generate that kind of Chicago dominance, both in terms of, like, attendance, excitement, mindshare, uh, TV ratings, everything, what have you. Like, this is their year to capitalize and, and get that one sustainable success, but also sustainable revenue from season ticket packages and uh, just, you know, ad sales, everything like that. So, yeah, they, they should be able to do it. But just based on, uh, and also, like, how much they've invested in the bullpen, it would seem like such a waste if they spent so much money on relievers that they couldn't afford somebody who completes their lineup, basically. So that's why I don't want to say like the White Sox can't do it um, because it seemed like that'd be a foolish reason to say why they can't do it. But based on just their where they are payroll wise, it would seem like they've made some moves like they've signed Graveman and Kelly because they figure Kimbrell's not going to be around or they can find a taker for him, even if they have to send some money along with him, what have you. Like it, it just seems like Kimbrell's an odd fit for this roster still. And they wouldn't have talked so much about trading him if they didn't think they could and just more of a matter of how much money they have to send along with him. I mean, the money wise, if you can sign Conforto to a $20 million contract for 2022, you are sitting about $700,000 below the competitive balance tax uh, going to 2022. So you're not going through the threshold, but God forbid, should the white Sox have to pay taxes uh, for having one of the largest payrolls in Major League Baseball. Jerry Reinsdorf wants another world championship before he dies. Well, spend that money, Jerry. That's the way I kind of look at it. And I don't necessarily view it as a precursor, but it does make sense on how things have just been kind of holding up and they've been holding up as far as a major move. Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly are not major moves. Josh Harrison is not a major move. Vince Velasquez is not a major move. We have been waiting for the White Sox to make a major move, Jim, this offseason, pre- and post-lockout, that encourages White Sox fans to believe that they have made the move to ease fears of having another letdown in the postseason. Conforto, I think, is that guy. If the White Sox sign Michael Conforto, that is a big, big shot in the arm. For the White Sox fan base. Now, not everyone in the White Sox fan base is sold on Michael Conforto. I see the naysayers. Even one of our own is suggesting that Adam Engel might be better than Michael Conforto, which almost gave you an aneurysm over the weekend, Jim. And he is grounded for a week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's not listening to this. Anyways, I, I, I think Michael Conforto is that guy. <laughs> Reliable source, the White Sox have shown interest in Michael Goodfordo, showing interest, which is picking up the phone, calling Scott Boris and speaking with Michael Goodfordo and say, hey, we'd like to sign you, is one thing. Putting an offer on the table and talking about years and dollars is another. The other teams that seem to be interested in Conforto that we have heard 
are really odd fits. The Diamondbacks? Okay, you were just complaining about the competitive balance tax. All right. And the Miami Marlins. And the Marlins just blows my mind. And out of Miami, there's like this, they also have this hope that they may be serious contenders to sign Nicholas Castellanos. Uh, which is really odd because then, all right, if you do sign Castellanos, why did Derek Jeter leave? Or because Jeter left, now you have a change of heart and you're telling yourselves, oh, we did screw up. So let's take all of this work that Jeter did pre-lockout and apply it and get this deal done. Though, If the White Sox are truly competing just against the Marlins and Diamondbacks for Conforto, I'd feel pretty confident about their odds of signing Conforto. I don't know what that final contract is going to be. The only thing that helps as far as the White Sox is knowing that the New York Mets are going to be moving on from Michael Conforto, so he's not returning to Queens. So that helps. Yeah. And, you know, like with Boris, we saw with Scott uh, Scott Boris with uh, Carlos Rodon and signing for two years and $44 million with an opt-out after the first year. Like, I could see Conforto doing the same thing, like looking for a, you know, a deal with an opt-out after the first year to try to go into the market. I could see the White Sox being amenable to it. Like, say, like, if uh, they, you know, let's just throw out numbers here randomly. Like, let's say, like, they signed Conforto to four and eighty million, but, you know, you got opt-out of the first year. Like, that's a case where, like, say if Oscar Kloss is who he could be or, or something like that, like, it's a case where, sure, maybe, like, they only want Conforto for one year and they are comfortable, like, with the opt-out to where, like, you know, they're, they're not going to be heartbroken if he leaves kind of like I'm thinking Albert Bell when Albert Bell was with the White Sox and he had the the, the clause in his contract that he could leave extra you know, go to free agency if he wasn't one of the highest paid players in baseball after uh two years and he did and he went to the Orioles had a hip problem uh kind of faded out and the White Sox are better off for having him leave like I could see the same thing like he fits this roster very well for this year and in the years that follow like he might not be worth like a huge investment uh, so in the, if that's the case, like, you know, perhaps that's where, you know, he, like the White Sox and Boris can be odd partners with, with, uh, aligning interest to where like, uh, you know, whereas opt-outs are usually, you know, our opt-outs always favor the player. Like it's always good to have for the player to have that leverage, but if the White Sox go into it thinking like, we only want him for one year. So if he opts out, we're just gonna be fine with that and not really pursue him. Uh, afterwards and just move on and hope that Colossus is the guy or, or look elsewhere. Like that could be a case where that's how a Boris client ends up filling that hole for the White Sox. Fingers crossed. I, I really hope it does come to fruition. And the White Sox right now in the competitive balance tax, they are coming up to that threshold that I never in my wildest dreams as a White Sox fan would think they would ever come this close, but they are. And yeah. it, it's kind of funny, though, the way they've gotten there is like uh, it is because of Rick Hahn's extensions, like inflating the luxury tax number of certain players like, you know, Yohan Makata costs more than his uh, his salary because of the extension. Luis Robert costs a lot more uh, towards luxury tax uh, threshold than he does with this current salary because of the extension. So it used to be the case where like or like take Tim Anderson, for example, like he's somebody who's making twice as much in 2022 as his luxury tax number because his extension was so cheap, annually speaking. Whereas in the case like Robert, like his annual number 
uh, his average annual number is a lot higher than his current salary because just the cost of extensions, early career extensions have gone up so much more. Uh, so it's a case where like, and that's part of a, uh, I guess a, a fascination of mine is just, you know, how the White Sox, you know, you know, used extensions to build their first, you know, towards the first rebuild with Abreu, uh, Quintana, uh, Sale. Like they had this core of just, uh, you know, really cost control players. Adam Eaton was the other one. And now the cost of extensions doesn't facilitate spending as much as it like prevents like somebody like Luis Robert from hitting free agency and being a $35 million a year player two years. Yeah. I guess they, they don't have to worry about that for two extra years, but they still have to pay him mm-hmm. like a very, very, very good player. Well, hopefully it does prevent them from signing Michael Conforto. And I'm hoping that the next podcast that we have for Sox Machine later this week is a Hello Michael Conforto podcast. How fun would that be? Let's just keep saying Michael Conforto, Jim, and continue to speak this into existence. Now, that's the next move for the White Sox, because if they do not sign Michael Conforto, Twitter is not going to be a friendly place. The comment section for Sox Machine is not going to be a very friendly place. But let's remain optimistic that the White Sox can find a way and sign Michael Conforto or anyone to play right field. Nicholas Castellanos would be great. Chris Bryant would be great. Any of those three would be great. It would be fun. Do it. Uh, (laughs) Now I'm making demands. Um, But fingers crossed that does happen. And again, we have the big dominoes still need to find homes uh, before spring training games get underway this upcoming weekend. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, a little bit longer than usual because there's actual news that we have to talk about regarding the White Sox. How refreshing. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you just discovered Sox Machine or you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, think about supporting us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content like the MLB draft reports that I write up weekly. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase new Sox Machine swag which we still have the new t-shirts, right, Jim, that are still in the store? Yes, although we, uh, we're we down one. I think we're down one size. So I think we're down to large is an extra large. I'll check. But yeah, the, if you're if you're considering it, do it because, uh, yeah, we're down to our last couple. And when we do have those pre-sales, we let our Patreon supporters know first so they get the first opportunity to get that Sox Machine swag. So if you enjoy our work and you want more, Go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. Monthly plans start at $2 a month and annual plans save you 9%. You can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. And the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com